Hi everybody, welcome to the first episode of Pronouns in Bio of 2021. Pronouns in Bio, your favourite gay podcast of 2021. Um, I am Cleo Madeline. I am Ree Brignall. Ree, what are we talking about today? So this month's episode is about magic and queerness and spirituality uh, and a bit of religion too. So yeah, all of the, all the magical fun stuff. Yeah, I sort of agonised actually over what to call this episode, not in terms of a title, which will probably be something like, I don't know, dick print or something, but in terms <laughs> of what to say this episode is about. I think spirituality is probably the closest thing because mm. it seems almost perhaps like bait at first to say this is the magic podcast and we're doing religion or this is the religion podcast and we're doing magic. Yeah, but certainly... Yeah. I think there's a consistent spiritual theme that if we handle it with our usual grace and etiquette, <laughs> yeah, flat footed <laughs> ignorance, then I trust we'll also handle with some heart. And now that I've said that, you're not allowed to come at us for anything else we say in this podcast. So yep. fuck off, nerds. <laughs> we look, we're not going to we're not actively setting out to offend anyone, um, but we apologize if we do. Don't say that. Now we sound like Ben fucking Shapiro or someone. Like, well, no, oh, I'm like... sorry if you're offended. No, like my apology there was genuine. It wasn't like a well. If you're offended, then fuck off. It was more that like we genuinely aren't trying to offend anyone, and if we do, we genuinely apologise. We want you to know that our appeal here isn't to reason; it's to stupidity. It's to ignorance. Yeah. This did come about organically. We. The start of the year obviously is a complicated time this year where, particularly for those of us who've come into the new year in lockdowns of one kind or another, it's sort of hard to feel that same sense of propulsive momentum that the start of a new year brings. But there is something about that idea of looking forward and the moments of prescience that the new year brings with it that led us to an episode that thinks about futurity. Mm. That is something that I think is really engaged with magic on the one hand and religious practice on the other and the common shared sense of spirituality they have. And how important it is to engage with queer futurity, specifically in that context. We're going to look back on this podcast after we've done, I don't know, 10 more episodes. We're going to look back on this podcast at the end of 2021 and listen to the one where we're like, Crash Bandicoot's girlfriend, <laughs> pregnant.jpg, and then listen to the one where we're like, the transcendent spiritual experience is all the more important in the isolated queer identity and be like, yes, these are the same. Yeah. I hope that we don't look back at the end of the year at the episode we did on magic and then feel regret because we manifested some bad energies into the year. <laughs> just gonna be like tuning into pronouns in bio december 20 was what up listeners so the curse of boils has still not left up but we're here we're here to tell you that having boils is gay <laughs> <laughs> Some, arguably our worst take since we offended the almighty god almighty listener to this podcast I have the utmost respect for your culture. <laughs> I suppose there's a simultaneous playfulness and sincerity to approaching the subject, particularly in the context of religion. 
because so many religious communities, particularly more conservative ones, can be environments in which you have to either suppress who you are, Mm. if you're a queer person in whatever way, or in which you have to remove yourself or even are cast out. I grew up in quite a conservative religious environment, one that had a lot of intrinsic homophobia and a lot of intrinsic Islamophobia in particular. For a long time, I and I think this is, this is common to a lot of younger queer people, that manifested as a real hatred and rejection of mm. religious practice and of Christianity in particular. And I think that that is really sad on a personal level, but also a real problem when it happens on a scale of the community because finding faith is a wonderful thing. Yeah, I think there's something really profoundly inspiring about coming across gays in the wild, yeah, that have a loving relationship with God. Mm, It's mm, not something mm. that I have personally, but whenever, yeah, whenever I, you know, come across someone online or someone in real life that is very open about their religion um, and their queerness, I just find that, I find that really, like, inspiring and yeah, it warms my warms my little gay heart to see. It's all the more a shame when you see the opposite, those sort of attitudes of mm. rejection harden into a kind of ideological position where queerness, anti-theism or, or opposition to organised religion are hardened into a single perspective. Mm. Like there are lots of scholars, for instance, queer scholars, whose work I enormously respect, um, but who all too frequently in their excavations of historic abuses of queer people by religious organisations or sort of historic prejudice, build from that a separatist ideology in which religion and queerness are treated as antithetical rather than Mm. religion and homophobia or transphobia or whatever being antithetical, which is, I think, actually what is true. The problem is not that organized religion in whatever form is destined to drive away gay people Mm. it's that organized religion in lots of places and you know you can see it in things like pope francis's comments on on trans people Mm. that at its highest ranks is all too frequently corrupted by people exactly people Yeah. yeah People, and especially when there's a money thing in it. Like, you know, obviously because my background, certainly, and our background in general, when we talk about religion, what we sort of mean is Christianity in the Western world. Right, yeah. An absence of diverse perspective for which we can only apologise. That notwithstanding, I think it's particularly egregious in a certain brand of American Christianity, Mm. this kind of ultra-capitalist Christianity. The, like, big megachurch type christianity exactly yeah like joel osteen and things like that where because it so clearly exemplifies that what we perceive as as a hostile relationship between queerness and religion is in fact a hostile relationship between power and queerness or between money and queerness or something yeah a case well made (laughs) thanks thanks i do heartily agree (laughs) throughout this episode we're sort of veering into my thesis specialist area i apologize in advance if i get my boff hat on gonna get right on that soapbox this is the spirituality episode and on one side of that is magic and on the other side is religion Mm. obviously when i talk about sides what i mean is there's a sort of messy multiple venn diagram situation going on here Mm -hmm. But I think we should talk a bit about if religion and queerness sometimes have these negative associations, 
how magic and queerness sometimes have a corresponding positive association. Like a lot of gay people are really into, Mm. you know, hedge magic. You know, you mentioned a Venn diagram. I think that's actually quite useful to picture here when you look at like gays and then paganism and tarot and crystals and things like that. Like Mm. there's a a huge crossover there. I follow uh, someone on Twitter called Mr. Lucian. He's great, by the way. And he practices tarot and uh he said that like his queerness and his transness just inherently makes him more magical and makes him more spiritually aligned with these kinds of forces which i think i buy into you know i can't quite put my finger on like why but <laughs> you know you don't come to the podcast for why <laughs> <laughs> you, don't come- you don't come here to learn <laughs> Except you're going to learn in a bit when I do Gaze of Future Past because I have written a 500 word mini essay on it. <laughs> be prepared to be schooled. <laughs> you, you've literally done your homework. I literally did, yeah. It's going to be like one of those like, buckle up, yeah. fuckle cup, whatever type tweet. <laughs> where someone's got 200 posts yeah. where they're like, let me tell you about how you've been using babies all wrong. <laughs> Yeah, it is going to be that, yeah. Soy face start to finish. I do tarot as well. I started doing it six years ago now, six or seven years, something like that. What is time? We just don't know. (laughs) Just for myself during a very, very difficult time in my life. And that was when I was first coming out of the closet to a wider circle of people. Um, It was a very slow and painful process. And I found a real source of solace in it which didn't always emerge from a conviction in the actual magicalness of the process i do have that now but that's come with time and a gradual diminishing of my willingness to suspend my disbelief Mm. but from the fulfilling sense of being able to ask questions of this completely opaque force at a time when I had nothing but questions and either no answers or answers that i just didn't want to hear do you think that there's something to be said for the accessibility then of tarot and paganism more like generally how it doesn't necessarily require you to go to church as it were to like find guidance Mm. like it's something that you can do and like it's a force that you can kind of interact with and get an answer from in the privacy and comfort of your own home like at your own pace yeah i think actually through that idea of a force that you get answers from Mm. as i've you know over the years abandoned what was a unbelievably cringy debate me style online atheism and that's not a good look for anyone it's not a good look no, at... don't do it <laughs> yeah if you're listening to me baby queers i know you're angry at the world you're angry at god but not only does god love you and i really do believe that we love you and god loves you but also you will love you more if in eight years time you haven't been like oh <laughs> so how can you prove god exists <laughs> yeah Yeah, it just doesn't look good. It doesn't feel good. No one benefits from it. No one changes their mind when you do it. It, It's just cringe. Don't do it. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I sometimes remember myself, 90 years old, talking to people who have either grown up with faith and devotional practice in every part of their life, or even better, like, come to it at some point and just, like, had their eyes opened. And I'd been like, well, um, I've actually read half of Descartes' meditations, and I think <laughs> oh, you'll find you're wrong. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm just shriveling up inside myself. 
We've all been there. Fuck. We're not those people anymore. And hopefully, if you are that person, listener, you can begin your journey to unbecome that person. Just to go back to your point about accessibility, these magical practices, things like divination by tarot or, or whatever, they have an accessibility, but it's not an accessibility that is endemic to them. It's the same accessibility as prayer. It's just that we conceive of them perhaps not inaccurately in, in a lot of cases, as liberated from the, the queerphobic aspects of conservative religious practice, which is a point I kind of wanted to draw back to because Catholic listeners, sorry, <laughs> communication with God doesn't have to take place through a church if you can't get to a church because you're gay, is a lesson that it took me until, you know, I'm 30 years old and I've basically just learned this. Particularly like in the last year when it's yeah. become a different kind of dangerous to go to mass worship. One of the things that I've talked to my flatmate about, who who is Catholic and with whom since COVID we sometimes do the live stream mass. Mm -hmm. And it's been a really interesting experience for me, partially because the live stream that we normally use is from a church that isn't like ultra conservative or anything but also it's the sort of place that if you go to as a trans person and you get clocked you'll get some looks mm -hmm. and so it's not a congregation i typically attend but equally there's the opportunity for people who don't have a known lgbt plus friendly church or other place of worship to attend and you can now go to lgbt churches online yeah. and so what has been i think a really difficult blow for places of worship in general especially for people whose communities are sustained by the regularity of congregation at these places of worship mm. it's also opened it up to people to whom the space might not be open or accessible because of the people who run the space even though these spaces are always open to people by God. Yeah, and it, it just means that like, if you don't have an LGBT-friendly church in your area, but there is one that's doing online congregation, then you can be a part mm. of that without having to, to travel or, or miss out. In terms of um, magic and its accessibility, I do think there's an important point to be made about areas where it's actually too accessible and the impact mm, that mm. has on non-white communities. I'm kind of mm. specifically thinking here about the boom in new age practices or new age uh, like capitalist enterprise where there was a huge demand a couple of years ago for sage because white people had read about burning sage to get rid of bad spirits in your home, it then ended up having this really negative impact on the environment and also on indigenous groups whose practice has long included sage for like millennia, not being able to access it. And so I think that there is like a conversation around magic spirituality and whiteness and the privileges that whiteness affords in these spaces that needs to be like more carefully examined. And that if you are a white person practicing magic, whatever that may be, be mindful of the impact your practice can have is often not just about you. No, I completely agree. I think you've picked out for me as well one of the issues I often have with, I'm going to say certain communities of spirituality, because it's not entirely a magic thing, but it's also not entirely a religious thing, mm. where they become too centred on individualism. Because it's whiteness. <laughs> 
it like that's it's true. whiteness. Like one of like whiteness's greatest assets is we are all see each other as individuals and see non-white communities as groups, you know, as homogenous. But whiteness mm, affords mm. the privilege to be an individual. And I think that certain white-led spiritual practice emphasizes that as a good end in itself without like critically examining the impact that that has and whether that is a good spiritual practice to pursue in the first place. With things like the tarot mm. or, you know, whatever other personal devotional practice you find your way to, as with prayer, it can be individual and reflective. And I think that is fine. I say very cautiously, not wanting the communists to come along and take away my membership card. But there's definitely a line that is all too often crossed. And you see it with some sort of Wiccan or like you say, like New Age magical groups. You see it with, for instance, the bloody Satanists, like sorry Satanists, but I've never met one of you who wasn't a wanker. Prove me wrong. (laughs) You see it with a lot of queer magic practitioners invariably Mm. i I would wager to say absolutely white queer magic practitioners Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. this point at which it moves beyond the private devotional practice and into the practice for individualist gain and you get instances where in america white women uh, in the practice of witchcraft have exhumed bones from the graves of others to use them for personal Mm. magical practice. And invariably in these situations, they end up being bones from historically black cemeteries because those are in lower income areas and have lower security. Mm. And so the knock-on effect is evident. If you're a white person doing that, then you're fucking with some forces you don't understand and you're going to pay the fucking price for that. That is... That's not good shit, like... (laughs) I do not want to call myself an expert on any of this, but I'm pretty sure if you look up in the big book of magic, the <laughs> stealing bones and doing necromancy is in the bad column. Yeah, yeah you're going to be smote for that. It's simultaneously one of the great crimes of spiritual practice for individual gain and one of the great tragedies of the exclusion of queer people from organised religion is that at the heart of Christianity at the heart of Islam, at the heart of Buddhism, there are these core tenets to the ideas of community that are what makes being queer inherently magical, that sense of shared community mm-hmm. and determination to help each other. Absolutely, yeah. And I feel like if you lose that through being barred from religion, then it's a great tragedy. But it's equally a great crime if you ignore that by taking up a personal spiritual practice if, in whatever form that privileges yourself above the others. And yeah, that brings us back to the kind of point we were making earlier about like the American megachurches. Like it ultimately comes mm. down to this corruption of serving your community and having connections to your community in pursuit of individual and personal gain. It's like they read that parable about, uh, what is it Christ says about it being easier for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. And they sat back and were like, we're going to buy the biggest fucking needle. <laughs> Just the hugest needle you ever Challenge saw. Challenge accepted, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We think it's very poor religious practice, but we can't deny that they've got game. So the next segment on our show is called Games of Future Pass segment of the show where Ree will try and persuade me 
that a particular figure, be they historical or fictional, was uh, queer in one way or another. Re, who have we got today? Okay, so this week's Gay of Future Past is our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank Bear you. Bear with me. Oh, I'm I'm bearing. <laughs> I'm bearing, baby. Okay, so as I have said, I have done my fucking research, and I hope you recognise that, put respect on my name. So the notion of Jesus's sexuality in a popular sense is that he did not marry and he remained celibate throughout his life. From my perspective, neither of these things preclude him from queerness. We queers famously aren't, like, overly mad about marriage and you don't need to have sex to be queer. But before I go any further with this perfectly sound line of argument, I'm actually not going to make the case that Jesus was capital G-A-Y and had gay sex because A it's obvious, and B, therefore uninteresting. But I <laughs> I am going to make the case that being able to say Jesus was gay and loved gay sex on this here podcast is actually a really important expression of gay and queer rights. And baby, do I have the sources to back this up for once. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad because for a minute I thought you were going to go like full Da Vinci Code <laughs> mode on us and be like, Jesus got pregnant and I've got the receipts. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, fear not. (laughs) So upon Googling Jesus gay, with no question mark because it is a statement and not a question, I Mm. discovered there have been quite a few, unsurprisingly, quite a few theologians, historians and artists and such that yeah have long theorised about Jesus's homosexuality. Just to name a few, Bob Goss, a theologian and LGBT activist, wrote a book in 1993 called Jesus Acted Up, a gay and lesbian manifesto, which is a great title, Bob. <laughs> and Jean Robinson, an openly gay priest, j- delivered a sermon about Jesus's homoerotic inclinations in a sermon in 2005, which was quite controversial. So yeah, I'm not the first person by a long way to be connecting these dots, uh, and nor would I claim to be. But the little slice of queer history that I want to draw attention to for my case to you, Cleo is Mm. a court case that happened in 1976 in this country. The court case was between a magazine called Gay News and a conservative with a giant stick up her ass called Mary Whitehouse. Gay News published a poem in 1976 called The Love That Dares to Speak Its Name by Mm. James Kirkup, which was written from the perspective of a Roman centurion who had sex with Jesus after his crucifixion and was quite explicit. In response, Mary Whitehouse brought a private prosecution against the magazine and the magazine's editor, Dennis Lemon, for blasphemous libel. There was a massive crowdfunding response from the gay community to support gay news, but sadly Lemon and the magazine were found guilty, and they were both fined, and Lemon was sentenced to nine months' imprisonment suspended. Gay news readers voted 20 to 1 to appeal, Uh, but the appeal was also lost. So the good news is that this was the last successful blasphemy trial in the UK and blasphemous libel ceased to be a common law offence in England in 2008. So this brings me back to my actual point, which is that we now, and only relatively recently, have been given the right to say Jesus was gay and loved gay sex. And given the history of gay news and Dennis Lemon, we should absolutely exercise those rights in the name of queer justice. I therefore hope you will join me in congratulating our Lord Jesus Christ in being this week's pronouns in bio, gay of future past. 
Thank you so much. <laughs> Mic fucking drop. <laughs> that was beautifully presented. Thanks. That was wonderful. Yeah, it, it absolutely like wasn't where I was expecting to go when I googled Jesus gay, but I'm, I'm, I'm quite pleased with it. I suppose actually when you brought this subject up, mm. when you said we're going to do Jesus for gays of future past, mm-hmm. I felt a misgiving that I actually think to a certain extent is a kind of internalised homophobia. Mm. Because I thought, well, what will people say? Like, are we cutting a bit too close to mm. the wire here? Mm-hmm. But the thing, is, <laughs> the thing is, that's got to be tied up in this culture of saying like, oh yeah, you know, it's okay to say someone is gay, but you can't say it about someone like Jesus Christ, even the, the potential for that existing. And you're absolutely right. That potential is, is so important. And surely the idea that that couldn't happen has got to be part and parcel of the exclusion from so many queer people from Christian spaces. Exactly, yeah. You know, whether Jesus was gay or not, you know, you can never prove it definitively one way or another, nor should you try to. But the actual, like, freedom to say it is really important. Uh, And I never really thought I'd be a free speech advocate, given the connotations of that in the 21st century, but I will absolutely stand by this one. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Do you have any any rebukes or rebuttals? I'm very firmly convinced. I was actually trying to get myself towards eloquently articulating our position on free speech, which I understand is uh, way more to bite off than either of us can feasibly yeah. chew. Something like we're somewhere between blasphemous libel shouldn't be a crime mm. And every single UK columnist should be able to say trans people don't deserve Mm. rights. I think that it's possible to find a a line between them. (laughs) Yeah. We should absolutely be able to sue UK columnists for blasphemous libel against trans people. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess I've come out in favour of blasphemous libel. (laughs) Fuck. (laughs) Yeah. Pronouns in bio, the pro-blasphemous libel podcast. Only when it relates to us. We will sue Suzanne Moore unless she says Jesus was gay. (laughs) Yes, our demands are complicated, but we're very firm. No, I would like to congratulate our Lord Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ. Congrats, Jesus. And also you for your extraordinarily well thought out presentation Jesus of Nazareth, you are our gay of future past. Hell yeah. Hell yeah, Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Hell yeah, Jesus. If the Lord was listening to our podcast... I think he'd be down with it. I I don't. (laughs) I'm sorry. I think Jesus would support the podcast. I think he would. Jesus preaches love for the homies, man. So I think he'd support the podcast. Yeah. He does, yeah, but like... What is this podcast if not love for the homies? That is true. This (laughs) podcast... So first of all, I don't think he'd know what a bag of boots is. (laughs) If nothing else, irrespective of taste, Mm. we do preach love for Mm. the homies. And that is something that I, I hope all our listeners can join us in, whether they are the reborn Christ or... (laughs) Or otherwise. Or anyone else, yeah. So you've actually touched on a couple of things that I wanted to bring up in terms of talking about queer futurity and finding that through spirituality. And one of them, just following on from your your Gaze of Future Past piece, is finding queer futurity by looking 
at the past, it's probably a bit old hat to listeners of the podcast, this idea that gay people didn't exist until 1957 or whatever, or, or on the flip side, that gay people were always persecuted in history, mm. uh, ni- neither of which are really accurate. The main misgiving on both sides being that gay people look just like us, mm. um, and that queer phobia has always looked like it does today. Obviously, there are continuities, but as people change and as the world changes, so we change. Mm. One of the things that does give me a tremendous sense of spiritual continuity within the community is being able to locate those narratives in the past. And one of the places that has been really fruitful in current queer history for locating these narratives is in religious communities. So we're talking monastic narratives or ascetic narratives. I don't know what those words mean. So monastic is like a monastery. Ascetic is just like another version of that when people become monks or nuns or join some other kind of religious organization. Ascetic refers to a very strict lifestyle. Okay. So we've got people like uh, Hildegard of Bingen is a particularly famous example. Um, Our very own homegirl, Julian of Norwich. Yeah, big up Julian of Norwich. Julian of Norwich has the most wonderful expression of queer futurity, actually, in her... I think it's her Revelations of Divine Love, which is is one of the first books ever written in English that we have, that is. History people, please don't (laughs) log on and say, fuck you. (laughs) I'm sure that is completely wrong. People don't listen to our podcast for historical accuracy and, you know, well-researched arguments. My argument about Jesus notwithstanding. I'm worried one of the, my esteemed colleagues from the other side of my life, while they're oiling their monocle first thing in the morning, will think, <laughs> you know, oh, I'd better have a listen to Cleo's podcast and see what's going on. And then I'm in there like, Jesus was gay. Julian of Norwich was the only person who ever wrote a book. Like, and then I just get like instantly fired from the PhD. Anyway, so yeah, Julian of Norwich. Let's actually talk about Julian of Norwich. Okay. Julian of Norwich was an anchorite who lived in Norwich in the, I want to say 14th century, but I am just going to Google that because I know I'll do it wrong. What's an anchorite? Okay. So first of all, the important thing is I didn't do it wrong. So colleagues, don't pop that monocle yet. (laughs) So when we talk about, obviously, monks and nuns, they live in monasteries or nunneries Uh in these communal settings, hermits or, um, you know, what we call like an eremitic life. They go out and live in the wilderness somewhere. An anchorite is a type of ascetic lifestyle that's sort of between the two, where you go into one small living place and then you live there for the rest of your life. Okay, yeah. And I know that's what Julian of Norwich did. It's from the same root as the word anchor. You basically lock yourself to one place. Okay. So Julian of Norwich lived in Norwich in the 14th century. We don't know an enormous amount about her previous life, but when she was in her 30s, I think, she moved into an antechamber of a small chapel and had it walled off with the exception for a small aperture through which food and writing materials could be passed in. And then she spent the rest of her days writing devotional works and in quiet contemplation of the divine. She's well known for belonging to what I loosely describe as a tradition of medieval female writers. I say loosely because I think 
often these writers are grouped together purely on the grounds that they are women. Mm. But in any case, she belongs to a group of writers who are called mystic writers because she wrote a lot about her transcendent encounters with the divine. And one of the things she writes, which I believe is in Revelations of Divine Love, which I think you should all read, by the way, it's a wonderful book, is after a series of periods of sickness, of self-doubt, doubt doubt that affects her faith in herself, doubt that affects her faith in her body, doubt that affects even her faith in God, she encounters Christ who shows her his love and shows her the safety with which he holds the world. And she writes, all shall be well and all shall be well and all manner of thing shall be well. I love that quote. Right? Yeah, it's it's very beautiful, isn't it? It has such hope. It has such hope and also such simplicity and also that abandon that we talked about earlier, that ability to give your questions up to something outside yourself. Mm. Mm. That kind of brings us to the kind of futurity we're talking about. Yeah. And the reason I think it's persuasively arguable as a queer futurity is that to become a monk or a nun or a hermit, or an anchorite, or to take up divine orders in any form, entails a certain abnegation of the expectations of gender and sexuality that you're born into. It's also a vow that places faith in, if you're reading it from a queer perspective, that like no matter how hard things get, and how cyclical they feel sometimes that like we will persist nonetheless exactly and a vow you make often with a community of Mm. like-minded people and with the broader spiritual community of the faith Mm. and you know with god or with the divine like one that surpasses the limits of society there's another local example that's really useful actually um in the form of marjorie kemp who was contemporaneous with Julian of Norwich. And while she never took holy orders, to my knowledge, she, after having 13 children, began experiencing these transcendent encounters with God that characterise mystic experience and having them written up for her by scribes. And at one point, she went to, I believe, the Bishop of York to talk about having her spiritual virginity redeclared. I think I've read about this one. Which I think is so interesting because obviously now it's a commonplace feminist point of discussion that virginity is a social construct. Mm. Like for 14th century England, virginity is utterly defining of a woman's worth as is, you know, whether or not she is Mm. a mother. This idea that Marjorie Kemp, through spirituality, is able to do what is literally an alteration Mm. of gender and in doing so redefine her future. God, that's good. Yes, that's the good shit, right? <laughs> that's good shit. We're like, we're having a real moment on this podcast. <laughs> like, seriousness and like, it's just good shit. Like, it feels good. It really is. This is a slightly more sober podcast than usual. We've gotten to the 50 minute mark in our recording session and we've not made like one ridiculous boy wizard joke in the episode about magic. Fuck. I don't really know if this is like a good thing or a bad thing. (laughs) I'm aware that I'm kind of, particularly in this section, holding court a bit. And you know, a lot of it's because this is stuff that I've written on, stuff that really inspires me. But I actually feel like the answer isn't that the podcast needs 
to lean more on the serious backbone of my work, but that my work doesn't have enough boy wizard dick joke. <laughs> yeah, you've got to pursue balance, you know, balance and harmony in all things. <laughs> yeah, I think that is what Siddhartha Gautama said, actually. Uh... <laughs> more boy wizard doctor. <laughs> Traditional pronouns in bio, boring break. This time round, we've actually got some pretty cool stuff to talk to you about. Off the back of the donations we've received on Kofi, for which we really just cannot thank our listeners enough. Thank you so much. We've been thinking about a couple of projects that we would like to go forward with. And the first of those that we're working on at the moment is a series of animated... I don't know what the word is, visualizations, videos, who go on YouTube. I don't want to blow our own trumpet, but they're pretty funny. They're a fun little accompaniment for fans of the podcast. We've also looking at setting up a Patreon with some fun little rewards that go with it for just £3 a month. We will give you early access to all pronouns in bio content. So that is the episodes, the recordings, anything else we make. For £5 a month, every month we'll send you a bespoke, informative graph made by me and Re using our master statistical brains <laughs> that will illustrate something you don't know about the queer world. Informative graph. Everybody needs more of those. Exactly, yeah. How else would you organise your life? For just £7 a month, we will send you a personalised postcard on the most recent episode's topic in a non-horny manner. Mm-hmm. And Re, would you like to tell us about the £10 Patreon reward? The special £10 Patreon reward is we will send you a personalised postcard on the topic of that month's podcast, but it will be the horny version. <laughs> <laughs> you got to pay extra for the horny. you got to pay if you want to see some skirt. every episode we have a segment called ally of the week where we seek to pay homage uh, or thank or congratulate a a non-trans or or non-gay ally for their particularly good work in in supporting our community Mm. uh cleo who is this week's ally of the week So we've got an honourable mention to preface this ally of the week because this is something that's been preying on me a bit. I have lost Mm -hmm. track of whether ally of the week is a sincere segment or a bit. It's, I mean, (laughs) you can't ask that question of anything we do. (laughs) I think that... This is a fallacy. (laughs) I'm trying to do a binary. Yeah, stop trying to do a binary. We started off with Gaze of Future Past where we said John's Wick was a he, him, lesbian. John's <laughs> Wick? <laughs> John. yeah, I mean, our first ally of the week was fucking... It was that juggalo. Simon J. Yeah, and yeah. that was quite sincere. That was quite sincere, yeah. I can't remember who else we've done. <laughs> but, but then also we did non-binary Joe Biden, which <laughs> obviously was very no, sincere, didn't. but I can understand We didn't do that. people would see how that was a bit but then now we've done a very sincere gaze of future past it's balance and harmony it's fine balance and harmony balance and harmony yeah boy was a dick boy was a dick (laughs) we wanted to front end our ally of the week with a sincere honorable mention to some genuine allies out there christa peterson and nathan osaroff spicer 
I don't know if we have many listeners outside of the UK. I know that recently our update said we'd fallen to 184th in the Norwegian podcast rankings. <laughs> so obviously we've really taken that to heart. Fuck a Norwegian. <laughs> but here in the UK, the situation around trans rights is pretty spicy. Yeah, it is spicy, yeah. There are names we don't want to name on this podcast, partially yeah. because we want to keep it light and funny and it genuinely just brings bad vibes. Yeah, it's fucking like Voldemort looking at us. Like, just don't want to don't want to do it. <laughs> because there are some Voldemort looking ass dudes <laughs> who, the minute you say certain names in UK journalism or academia, just fucking... Yeah crawl up your asshole with a libel I'm lawsuit. To sue you. So in the interest of keeping our assholes spick and span, we're not going to delve too much <laughs> into names, but Krista Peterson and Nathan Osaroff Spicer have both fought the good fight. Two non-trans people who've been a huge asset to the trans movement. They have fought tirelessly. They've made excellent articles. Krista Peterson's actually got one out recently that is really, really good. Thank you for just, you know, they're fighting the good fight and we, we see that and appreciate it. We were talking about it and in our segment on allies that has perhaps been inconsistent in tone recently, we wanted to point to two <laughs> genuine icons of trans Yeah, two allyship. genuine actual trans allies. If listeners, you don't want to dip your toe into... The discourse around UK transphobia, then uh, there's no pressure to actually Google them and find out what they've written, because it is a spicy meatball. It is a spicy meatball! Uh. <laughs> <laughs> or at least it engages with a spicy meatball. Yeah. If you have the beans to get informed, then I really do recommend it. If you don't have the beans, then fortunately we have a third equally sincere ally of the week that I've prepared <laughs> for you. Uh, and this meatball is a spice of a whole different flavour. <laughs> I think we've actually skewed quite strongly towards religious practice in this podcast mm. so far. So I'm glad to bring you an example of some magical practice. Mm -hmm. This week's ally of the week is Gandalf the Grey from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Fuck yeah, let's go. Who obviously is a wizard. So first of all... I'm sure a lot of people at home are being like, what, you're saying Gandalf's straight, but he's got such a vibe. That vibe is probably part of why he's LA of the week now. But yeah, I made a little pentagram on the floor last night, popped me candles down, <laughs> called up the spirit of Tolkien and said, just before we go <laughs> on to this podcast, I've tried Googling Gandalf gay and it's not brought me the results I wanted. Is Gandalf the wizard from your popular book, Lord of the Rings, gay? And Tolkien was like, nah. So, <laughs> so you heard it from the man himself. Exactly. Just by the way, Tolkien scholars, because I know you're out there. If you're going to come into my mentions, it had best only be to be like, man, your Lord of the Rings mentions were on point. Because I, full confession, I love Lord of the Rings. I love The Hobbit. I love that shit. I used to read The Silmarillion every year. But Tolkien scholars are fucking boff. <laughs> 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 I'm sorry, that's some boff shit. Like, that needed to be called out. <laughs> oh, wait, me! I thought you were joining me against the Tolkien scholars. No, <gasps> I'm calling you a fucking boff for reading the Silmarillion every year. Top 10 Jesus. anime betrayals. <laughs> Fuck you. I could not, nah, man. That one could not slide. Like, that had to be called out. Yeah. Like, that was my duty. Well, I'm going to be talking to <laughs> Manwe, Prince of the Air, about this. And, uh... <laughs> Oh, we're gonna have a good time. 
We're going to dine out on your ignorance. <laughs> Bet you don't even know Sorry. who poisoned the trees of the Valar. <laughs> you dick. Oh, God. Uh, all right. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say Tolkien scholars don't come up in my mentions with your fine point. I don't want to harsh any vibes, but Tolkien scholarship is just like an enormous boff community. Fucking in the process of trying to do so, I've logged on to dunce.com, ordered a bulk <laughs> order of hats, and now I'm sat here eating them. So I guess Tolkien yeah. scholars are going to join you. Yeah, you really can't be drawing these like lines between you and the Tolkien scholars. Like, <laughs> you are not that far apart from them as you may think. <laughs> Frantically trying to say I'm one of the good ones as all the cool kids just like laugh and throw their lunches at me. <laughs> That's me. That was me throwing my lunch at you for that comment. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe we had such a nice conversation about queer futurity and now I'm just flashing back to secondary school. <laughs> oh. Okay, Boff, please continue. I will. This is my cross to bear. I am like <laughs> Jesus in this regard. <laughs> Hold on, I'm just going to move my notes in front of me because I keep looking away from the mic to look at them. I move away from the mic to breathe. <laughs> <laughs> My fucking problem on this podcast is that I lean right into the mic to breathe. <laughs> Every single time I've got a disgusting mouth noise to make with the metric ton of snot that accumulates in there, I lean right up into the mic and chew that bad boy out. <laughs> Honestly, editing is an absolute chore. Okay, Gandalf the fucking grey. I guess I want to start with people might think that Gandalf kind of is gay already. He's not, mm. but... I can kind of see why you might think he would be. And, you know, this is this maybe hinges on the fact that actually, outside of a sort of historiographical context, and, you know, a reason to make new flags, labels like straight and gay and whatever, they're, they're really important. But having them as absolutes is kind of unuseful. Kind of moving into a time when, as pithy as it is, is a bit easier to say, oh, everybody's a bit gay. Certainly there's evidence that the generation that's coming up now look at sexuality in a much more flexible spectral sense than than we do. Kids are going to be all right. The kids are going to be all right. And one of the reasons for that is Gandalf. <laughs> because he is straight, but he's clearly completely comfortable with playing around with who he is, with his look, and not having to say, oh, I can't do that because I'm straight. Or mm. even like, that is like a gay thing. <laughs> For our sins, we've got some straight friends. But one of the things I admire most about them, and particularly about the men, mm. is their willingness to play around with their look, to really like, really give some thought to these feelings, mm. to mm. not treat it as if, you know, you're a straight person and then one day you have to decide to throw a switch that says gay, but you're a person and you might not know who you are and you play around with these things to find out and it's okay. Whoever you are at the end, it's okay. Yeah. And you know, he does. He like, he goes away, he takes some real time to himself, he goes traveling and then comes back and he's got a new look and he's got a new name and he's kind of like carrying himself a bit differently. And ultimately, even though he stayed true to his identity underneath, he's like really accepted himself in a way that I think is so healthy. Mm -hmm. I think that's something that if a lot of straight people took on much more naturally, you know, took this kind of reflective practice as something that anyone can do. Like, it doesn't have to be the glow up. It doesn't have to be the transition. That would be really cool. Mm -hmm. I also wanted to bring up, and this is maybe something that we'll need to explain for our listeners at home, this idea of passing privilege. Reed, do you want to talk to us a bit about passing privilege as you did our egg definition so well? Yeah, so passing privilege is where if you are 
in a trans context at least, if, for example, you are a trans man, but people perceive you to be a cis man, then you are passing, if that makes sense. Mm, mm. You pass as the gender you are to cis people. Yeah, and the reason that we talk about that in terms of privilege is because... I want to say this is actually a really loaded and often quite divisive term in the community. It's definitely a thing that exists. Mm. I I don't really approve of it being used as a wedge to drive us apart. You know, like, being trans and passing, ultimately, it doesn't make you less trans, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just means that you're less likely to get clocked. And it's something that I've, like, grappled with on a personal level because while I am a towering beauty... When God was putting my face together, he made a one-way trip to Cincinnati. <laughs> and that's, you know, that's that's my... I'm, I'm going to say that's my cross to bear. The fucking Jesus episode. Anyway. And I think Gandalf's uh, maturity around this with his queer friends is actually really cool. He's got this one... Go- he's got this one One friend. girlfriend. He's got this one girlfriend. <laughs> They just had a thing for a while, you know. I don't actually know if Gandalf has a girlfriend. So Tolkien scholars, if you are going to email me, email me if Gandalf has a girlfriend. Yeah, I want to see Gandalf girlfriend pics. I want to see... <laughs> <laughs> I want to see Gandalf's Ben Affleck coffee run pic. <laughs> no, Gandalf's... <laughs> oh, okay. Gandalf's Sorry. got this one friend. <laughs> who spent a long time hiding their true self away from the world. Mm. They just they just wouldn't come out. And a lot, a lot of that, I think, is because of passing privilege. You know, the world of men in the Fourth Age is inhabited by elves and dwarves <laughs> and hobbits, things of that ilk. And mm-hmm. obviously, while there's, you know, considerable distances between these different peoples of Middle Earth, they've all got your two legs, two arms, ranging between about four and six feet in height. And I think that because this friend of Gandalf's is about 30 feet tall and made of fire, <laughs> and with like big horns and wings and shit, that even though they see themselves as one of these peoples of Middle Earth, they can't go out and about because they just think I'm not going to pass. And then Gandalf goes to them and says, look, you shall not pass, but... <laughs> oh, fuck! You're fine. leading up to that! Fuck! I didn't see that coming! <laughs> and then they take some time together. Oh, my God. And eventually, Gandalf, like, convinces this this friend to go out with him. <laughs> and they... <laughs> And I think that's really important is that is that if we think of the example of Gandalf, we can think actually <laughs> the better advice is not here's the top makeup tutorial to help you pass, but here is like yeah. how to accept that even if you're not going to, like it's okay, you are you, you are I can't are believe I didn't see that coming. <laughs> I cannot believe I didn't see that coming. I, I it had no right to take me by surprise in the way that it did. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) You even got me to define passing and I didn't, I didn't, I didn't connect the dots. (laughs) I got to hand that one to you. Thank you. That was good. Thank you, Gandalf, for being our ally of the week. I'm utterly convinced. Thank you, Gandalf. Thank you for the good work that you continue to do. Let's all be more like Gandalf. Yeah, let's all be more Gandalf. So 
So that is all we've got time for today, unfortunately. I hope you've all had a magical time at home, because we certainly have here. Is there anything you wanted to add before we wrap up? I think we've, we've said all we have to say. Yeah. We've said literally everything there is to say on <laughs> magic, spirituality, and religion. Yeah, you know, easy topics to talk about without offending anyone. Exactly. The book is closed now. Do you think we've managed to not offend anyone? I think that what you illustrated so nicely earlier mm. is that the benchmark for this kind of discussion isn't whether anyone has been offended, although, of course, it's really important, as you said earlier, in things like personal spiritual practice that you don't transgress mm. on someone else's uh, traditions. Mm. But that ultimately offence isn't the barometer of queerness in religion. Mm. Acceptances? Yes. It's not whether what we say about uh, Jesus or even what we say about Gandalf <laughs> might offend somebody, but whether it might say to somebody, get welcomed the fuck into the fold. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to get in touch with any suggestions for future episodes, because you know that we'll be back in February with even more bullshit, mm -hmm. then we're on Twitter at PronounceCast and our email address is PronounceCast at gmail.com. If you want to chuck a couple of quid into the basket to help us keep making stuff, and we would absolutely love that, then we are co-fee.com forward slash pronouns cast also now on patreon.com forward slash pronouns cast that would just be absolutely invaluable we'd also before we go like to shout out our charitable cause for this week re i don't know if you'd like to say a few words about that uh yeah we have a couple of community groups and organizations and charities that support lgbt people of various faiths there is diverse church which supports lgbt christians in the uk and ireland there is FATE, which is a source of support for LGBT Sikhs. Kolot Hakashet, a project to provide training uh, on campaigning and messaging skills to enable LGBT Jews to push for inclusion. And Hedaya is a mission to support LGBTQI Muslims and promote social justice and education in the community. These can all be found on Stonewall's website. Thank you so much. These are all excellent causes. They are actively addressing the problem of queer exclusion in religious communities that we've talked about on this episode. And if you can give them a share or a dollar or anything that you've got, then... Or even if you need uh, more support as an LGBT religious person, then there are support groups out there for all variety of faiths. I always feel good after these episodes because honestly making this podcast with you is one of the greatest joys of my life. <laughs> I said that in my funny joke voice, but I, I mean it really sincerely. <laughs> I, know, I know it was sincere. <laughs> <laughs> but this one is like... I feel spiritually fulfilled, you know? I feel good about what we're doing. I hope that the listeners feel a measure of that too. But lest the listeners feel that in their chest in an imbalanced way. <laughs> Boy, wizard, dick. <laughs> there we go. A nice all-round balanced podcast. Straight to your ears. I'm Cleo Madeline. <laughs> and I'm Rick Ragnall. <laughs> <laughs> this has been pronouns in bio. The pronouns in the bio. Put, get your pronouns in, in your bio. bio. Boy was a dick. <laughs>